0: Deep touchdown, Wisconsin, and this game is underway with a bang This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin Sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. We're gonna hit for the cycle today. Right, we're gonna cover just a little bit of everything. We're gonna start with Packers. We got to talk Brewers as well. Some stuff coming down the wire about Yasmani Grandal. And to be completely honest, it's, I don't want to call it a feel good story, but some of the quotes and, and some of the messages from that introductory press conference uh, are, are pretty cool. So I want to talk about Yasmani Grandal as he is introduced officially as a brewer, finally gets the jersey on, shakes the hand to Craig Council and David Stearns. And of course, uh, we do have to talk Badgers basketball. For those of you who squandered your Monday night watching Badgers basketball last night, first of all, I apologize. I watched it as well, so I know your pain. We're going to talk about that. And coming up at 5.30, we're going to hear from a coach of the UWL Eagles men's basketball team, Coach Dernbach, uh, because they are off to a fiery start in WIAC play, and they have a huge game tomorrow night against one of the conference leaders. So far, it's early, but so far, it's looking really good for your men's Eagles basketball team and women's as well. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get to both. I'd love to talk about both. But let's start with the Packers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. The Packers are our NFL team. Thanks for tuning in, by the way. We don't want to get off to too, too much of a fast start. Hope you are doing well. I certainly appreciate you tuning in. The Packers yesterday, I swear, first of all, if the Packers sign another coach or another member of their staff during the show today, I'm going to pull my hair out. I finally, I had a chance to sit down, do some reading about Nathaniel Hackett, their new offensive coordinator, because that news broke during the show yesterday. So now we we kind of have more of a nuanced look, a little bit more perspective on maybe uh, what this key piece in creating an offense, because obviously Matt LaFleur is the head coach, and he is an offensive-minded head coach. So for all intents and purposes, you can consider him their main offensive coordinator. But his assistant, their quote-unquote air quotes, Offensive coordinator is Nathaniel Hackett. So he's going to be doing a lot of the offensive stuff underneath Matt LaFleur. And he was signed yesterday at what felt like, what, 515? Just after the show got rolling. Uh, So we finally have an opportunity to talk about it a little bit today. Those of you who just even took a glance at the situation will know that he was in Jacksonville for the last couple of years. And, well, that'll tell you a little bit of what you need to know. Number one, Jacksonville hasn't had a potent offense minus one year, which I believe is Blake Bortles' sophomore year any time in my lifetime, really. So there's not a whole lot of good sample size to go to, but those of you who follow the NFL as well will also know that Jacksonville is kind of a dysfunctional organization. They go through a lot of coaches, they go through a lot of players, and they've just never really been an organization, at least in my lifetime, to get their feet under them. Much like LaFleur in Tennessee, you have to look past the record or past what's on paper, and look a little bit deeper to figure out exactly what we need to know about the new Packers offensive coordinator who were working alongside Matt LaFleur to put together, hopefully, somewhat of a redesigned Packers offense centered around Aaron Rodgers. It's really funny because yesterday we had some of the writers and some of the media members uh, who were connected in one way or another with Nathaniel Hackett kind of chiming in and saying this or saying that, and if you would like to do that as well, 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line, I'd love to have you. Uh, yesterday we were doing a little bit of research and and doing some digging and both on Twitter and, you know, through the internet, uh, finding out which quarterbacks and and which offensive centerpieces Nathaniel Hackett has had to work with. And of course he was in Jacksonville, so that'll tell you a little bit of what you need to know. But if you would like specifics, if you want to know exactly the quarterbacks that Nathaniel Hackett has been working with over the last couple of years, as I'm sure you'd imagine, it's a little short of impressive. Blake Bortles. Cody Kessler, Chad Henney, Kyle Orton, EJ Manuel, Thaddeus Lewis, and Jeff Toole. How about those for your quarterbacks? And if you will remember, Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator uh, a a year ago now. Just about an exact year ago when they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game with Blake Bortles at the helm. And if it wasn't for uh, a whistle, and I do mean literally, if it was not for an incorrectly blown whistle... The Jags might have went to the Super Bowl and they might have knocked off Tom Brady and the Patriots at Foxborough. You got to give them a little bit of credit just on that alone. That he took Blake Bortles in that offense last year which was dismal in terms of personnel. Now, of course, they they had Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. They got to the AFC Championship game. You don't do that. Even if you are tremendous on one side of the ball, you don't do that with at least uh, a little bit of competence on the other side of the ball. I mean, that Bears defense this year was one of the most complete... And dominant defenses I've seen in the last 10 years. And they were a first round out. Because their offense just couldn't get it done. I'd say Jacksonville's defense last year was on par with this year's Chicago defense. But they made it to the AFC Championship game on the arm of Blake Bortles. Of course coordinated and organized by Nathaniel Hackett. Now obviously for Nathaniel Hackett. He's got to feel pretty good about what he's going. From Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler and Chad Henney. To Aaron Rodgers. So now he gets a little new. Well I don't want to say a little new toy. But he gets a new toy to work with. right? He gets a new quarterback to work under. It was fascinating because you, you try to get a vibe. On what kind of person these coordinators are. And what they bring to a sideline. Nathaniel Hack is very energetic. He's a guy who's a yeller. Who's a runner. Who, who is very high energy. Which Packers fans I think have been yearning for a little bit. In the past few years. You got Sleepy Dom Capers up in the booth. And I like Mike Petton, But he sits up in the booth. I, I think at some point or at least from what we've seen around the NFL, we have all agreed that there needs to be some sort of presence on the sideline that's engaging players, that's interacting with players throughout the game while they make adjustments, not just from the booth or from afar, but down in the trenches on the sideline. Michael Cohen, who covers the Packers for the Athletic, used to be at PackersNews.com, tweeted this out yesterday, and I think it's a really good peek into maybe what the Packers are getting into. He says, I covered Nathaniel Hackett in college when he was the OC at Syracuse under Doug Marone. In addition to strong football acumen, Hackett brings tons of energy. He was so emotional during post-game interviews, both happy and sad, that the SIDs asked him to cut back on the profanity. (laughs) As an example from six years ago, when Syracuse uh, found success with a new goal line package, he said, quote, I went effing crazy when Adonis scored. I was so fired up. He also spoke to Packers tight end Mercedes Lewis, who of course was in Jacksonville the last couple of years about Hackett, he said Lewis raved about him, and they remained in touch, called him my guy. A little bit of personable uh, personable part of his personality, as well as really high energy, and, and let's face it, a screamer and a yeller on the sideline does not make an offense, but pair that alongside a head coach and offensive-minded coach in Matt LaFleur, who is a little bit more composed, a little bit more calm, and I think as a head coach, you have to be. Assisting coaches can scream and yell and throw things when a head coach is doing it it's it's kind of an odd look, I would say at least and and I think it's it's a good contrast to have on a staff Lafleur from everything we know is very relaxed, very composed and calm, kind of even keeled throughout the course of a football game and Nathaniel Hackett is the opposite of that very emotional rides high, rides low, and probably is that's a good way to connect with players and i think when you when you talk about this whole Lafleur situation, we're not looking at any of these coaches in a vacuum we're not looking at Lafleur and saying that personality is good or bad and we're not looking at Hackett and saying well that sideline manner is good or bad it's all becoming part of a bigger picture all of these coordinators and these coaches are ultimately going to be working in conjunction to create the same product right and I think diversity on a staff we talked about this last week when we were talking about Pettin and Lafleur and how they might put together a staff in terms of well will they try to pick coaches off of this coaching tree or bring some buddies that they've worked with. I think it's great to bring coaches from all sorts of systems and all sorts of organizations, even if they don't have previous connection. Lafleur and Hackett don't have a lot of mutual ties, but that's okay because I think diversity and contrast throughout a staff is a good thing. And I think it's, it's a great parallel to look at Mike McCarthy. Not only was Mike McCarthy there for 14 years, but he had a lot of... He had a lot of consistency in his staff. Joe Philbin was there in and out, but Joe Philbin was there for a long time. James Campen was there for a long time. Joe Witt Jr. and Dom Capers, another example, were there for a handsome amount of time, as was Ron Zook for the last four or five years. I mean, there was not a lot of turnover. There was a lot of consistency, and I think when McCarthy's message starts to get stale, as we've all started to say, that's one thing. McCarthy's message getting stale is one thing, but when the entire staff is made up of Long-standing McCarthy replacements who are an extension of McCarthy, both in their mindset and their football acumen, but probably in their personality as well. When McCarthy's message starts to get stale, there's not another assistant there to say, "Hey, McCarthy, I, Mike, I'm noticing this. I think we got to, I think we got to tweak this. I think we got to touch on this." There's not an assistant saying, "All right, McCarthy is Mike's being real calm on the sideline today, and I just think we need a shakeup. Let's go." And all of a sudden, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's jumping up and down, trying to reach those players. When a head coach gets stale, that's one thing. But when the coaches and his staff is composed of longtime assistants and guys who have been there for years and years and years, that staleness is only amplified. It's only made worse because there's a bunch of McCarthy yes-men surrounding the head coach. Hopefully, Lafleur puts together a very diverse staff. Guys he's worked with, guys he hasn't, high-energy guys, low-energy guys, because that'll force a little bit of competition. A little bit of, I want my idea to come out on top. Or this is what I think, here's why. And that's how you're going to get the strongest ideas, the best ideas. And that's how you're ultimately going to put together the best offense. I made the Thanksgiving uh, uh, analogy last week. When when we have a, a large Thanksgiving meal, we have all the aunts and uncles and cousins. One person doesn't cook all the food. A lot of times at my family Thanksgiving, my grandma Pat makes the turkey. Aunt Melinda handles the appetizers. My mom often makes, I don't want to make her sound bad, I I don't remember everything. She made the rolls, she made the mashed potatoes, she made the green bean casserole. Everybody makes something different because everybody's a little bit different of a cook. Right? Everybody does different things well and it makes for a better, more well-rounded meal. Let's say my mom's cooking doesn't agree with me. That's fine. I can have some of Aunt Melinda's food. I can have some of Uncle Jerry's food that he brought. Or or Grandma Pat's turkey. Something's going to work. Something's going to be good. And the meal isn't going to be stale. It's not going to taste the same. And I think that's the same thing when you're put together a a football staff. You want different personalities. Guys who coach differently. Because ultimately that's going to create a better product on the field. So Nathaniel Hackett, a high energy guy, is now being paired with Lafleur, Who sounds kind of like an even keeled fella. Who doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. And I think that could be a good contrast as those are the two guys at the forefront who are going to be putting together this offense. Uh, two guys at the forefront of the Milwaukee Brewers, both David Stearns and Craig Council sat down alongside their newest acquisition, Yasmani Grandal, in an introductory press conference. I'm not going to play you a whole lot of interviews, although we're going to hear from Craig Council. We got a couple of things to talk about. Brewers don't often sign a big name, high priced free agents. They got one this year. What does it mean? And we'll hear some more details on why and how the signing went down. That all coming up more uh, coming up next and more here on the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Grant Bills. More to come here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good night. Thanks for tuning in. We're covering all bases today. Talking a little bit about the new Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. It's, it's such a medieval sounding name, Nathaniel. So we're trying to figure out what exactly that Packers offensive staff and in terms of the offense on the field with the players and the scheme and all that, how that could look coming up here in the next couple of months. So as the Packers continue to put together the staff, make sure you're checking out all the programming here on WKTY, not just my show, but Bill Michaels. David Scrady in the morning because it's going to be an ongoing saga as the Packers piece together assistants and coaches and what have you. The Brewers are doing some piecing together. They signed one of their bigger free agents in recent memory, and that's Yasmani Grandal. So far throughout the David Stearns tenure, there's been a lot of Yoli Shassines and Wade Mileys and guys like Eric Sogard, guys that they bring in, whether on a minor league deal or through a trade or through a free agent acquisition, but it's a small, it's a small contract because David Stearns, in essence, is saying, I think we have something in you. I think you'll work here. Nobody else sees it. I'm going to throw you a bone with this contract, and you're going to make me look really good. And he has been correct with guys like Yoli Shassin and Wade Miley. And then a, a while ago, Eric Sogard. He- he's found these players that maybe they haven't been sustained stars, but they've put together some stretches of brilliance and been real players for this Brewers team on the cheap. Now, Yasmani Grandal was one exception to that. They paid him just over $18 million for one year, and it's a fascinating set of circumstances. Not only because Milwaukee doesn't often garner attention from these big-name free agents, but because the Mets offered him 60ish million dollars and 4 years, which is a little bit more security and a little bit more money as well. So we're trying to put all this together. Why Milwaukee? Why the one-year deal? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So the Brewers introduce Grandall at the press conference alongside David Stearns and Craig Council. And we start to to see some pieces fall into place. If you want to talk about it, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. Twitter is always wide open as well. That's not just while we're on the air, but any time of the day, you can tweet us at WKTY. You can tweet me at grant, And we can have a nice little online conversation. Doesn't have to be while we're on air, of course. You can always find us on Twitter any time of the day. Brewers introduced Yasmani Grandal, and it was fascinating. Craig Council kind of set the table in in talking about how the whole signing went down because the Brewers, and I think David Stearns included, didn't really think that Grandal was an option because he was going to seek a bigger contract, more guaranteed money, in a salary-capless league that he was probably going to a bigger market. He could have had that in New York if he wanted, but it turns out he came to Milwaukee. And Craig Council, in a bit of disbelief, and, and, and very, very happy with that decision and that move made by David Stearns. One moment. I have the audio by <laughs> Craig Council uh, talking about it during the press conference. Let's try this again.
1: So uh, I, I do remember we had a conversation earlier in the week and then he uh, texted me what what one night and said it was it was going to happen. And I think I had just a one word. Wow. Uh, my response in a text was just a one word. Wow.
0: It always kills the drama when I set up a sound bite. Craig Council says this, and then, and then there's the silence. So I apologize about that. Craig Council, you know, saying it's something that was on the table, something the idea had been floated, but nobody really thought it was a realistic option. Well, it turns out Grandal liked the idea of a one year deal, and he liked the idea of Milwaukee for multiple reasons. Now, when I sat down today, I said, Oh, this is going to be perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this press conference. I'm going to take some audio from Grandal, and I'm going to share that with our listeners, and they're going to say, Wow, listen to this guy. He's excited to be in Milwaukee, and and these are the reasons why. Well, I want to listen to it, and Grandal, Kind of dull. Like he, he wasn't very loud. He's tough to hear, uh, and he didn't really say anything that interesting. So instead of playing some dull, muffled audio for you, I'm just going to pass along what we learned in the press conference, and uh, and hopefully that will fill uh, fill the hole that Yasmani Grandal left because he was kind of a dweeb in the press conference. In my opinion, uh, it came down to a couple of things. Because the money was bigger in New York. He could have gotten about the same contract in Los Angeles had he wanted it. The Brewers signed him to an 18 or actually a 16 million dollar contract with an option that includes a 2.25 million buyout. That option is for 2020 and that's a mutual option. Uh, So there's a lot of flexibility on both ends for that. This is what Grandal had to say. There's multiple reasons, not just money and not just baseball related, although we'll touch on that as well. But Grandal had some different things attracting him to the Brewers and he said a lot uh, it kind of came down to his family. He said, this is what was best for my family. My wife said she'd rather have spring training here in Phoenix and be with the kids a little more. I have a fourteenth month year old who's running crazy around the house, and if this gives me two extra months to watch him run around, that's one of the most important parts for me. Free agency was a little stressful being my first time through it, but the fact that I'm here is very exciting for me and my family. I can't wait to get going. Phoenix is beautiful. I'd much rather be in Phoenix than in in Florida Florida is gross it's sweaty and weird things you ever listen to the radio all the weird news comes from Florida all the people in Phoenix are people from Wisconsin who have retired and don't want to live in the snow so they're down there so if Grandal likes Milwaukee he should by extension like Phoenix he also talked he loves the Brewers team uh he he talked about the bullpen a little bit he referred to it as a quote three-headed monster it's pretty cool. We got a three-headed monster in the bullpen. I mean, I think of it that way, but you don't often hear that from outside voices. Uh, he continued by talking about how the Brewers have constructed their team. He said they've made the right moves. I like the way they play. I like the way it seems like the clubhouse has a great feel to it. I feel like they click, and it showed last season, especially late in the year, where they were able to make a big run. The fact that they did that, it shows they're built to win and built to win now. In my opinion, this is one of the most complete teams in baseball. Some, some excitement, some enthusiasm from Grandall about the team he's joining. Although, if you're a free agent, you should be en- enthusiastic about wherever you're going, because ultimately it's your decision. I mean, some teams will offer you more money. Some teams will offer you a better contract, but you can go wherever you want. And the fact that he picked Milwaukee, you should have some enthusiasm. It was his choice, right? Uh, and, and I think when he talks about the locker room and the clubhouse, and he feels like it clicks, he said. I I think this is really important, and this transcends just baseball. If you're a a sports watcher of, well, any sport, whether it's the MLB or you watch the NFL, the NBA, you look at the locker rooms and you look at the team dynamics from the teams who just, they they seem to have it. Last year, the Brewers seemed to have it. Now, that might dissipate, and that might not be the case this year. Winning helps that. Winning really encourages a, a healthy and a fun locker room, but watching the Brewers last year... Watching those videos from inside the locker room and inside the clubhouse, listening to Craig Counsell address that team, it just seemed like they had it. They seemed a little bit like a family who loved being around each other, and there was just a great dynamic between them all. And another great example was this year's Chicago Bears. I think seeing videos from them after games. They called it club dub. They would go in there. They would play music. They would prop up Matt Nagy. It showed that they had respect. And they not only treated him as a coach, but as a family member because they wanted to be around him after the game. They wanted to show their admiration and hang out and party and have fun in the locker room after wins. And I think that's, it's, it's not necessarily tangible. It's not something that shows up on a box score or on a newspaper headline. It's just something you feel. It's something you see if you watch and follow a team closely. Eric Kratz was a great example. A couple of years ago, Eric Sogard. These guys who maybe aren't all-star players, but are big locker room guys. That all plays into that dynamic. That all plays into that energy. As Grandall says, feels like they click. And I would tend to agree. Now that can change on a year-by-year basis. So just because they're in Milwaukee, and just because they play in Miller Park, and they had a good last year, doesn't mean that's going to be the case this year. That's not what I'm saying. But in a bubble, the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers had it. In a bubble... The 2018-19 Chicago Bears had it. Even though they didn't end up winning a Super Bowl or anything, they were the best Bears team in, in nearly a decade. They had it. You could just feel that energy and see that energy between the players and the coaches. And even the media at times in that locker room, it just, there was something there. And I think that's something to be said when choosing a team, especially a team that's trying to compete and trying to uh, pursue a World Series berth. I I saw some narrative, and we're not going to get into it necessarily today. We might in the future, depending on what else Milwaukee does during this offseason, but you know, does this change the stigma around Milwaukee's free agency? Is it now a destination? Has this this broken through a a glass ceiling of sorts, and now is this going to open the floodgate for more free agent signings? I, I, I would put a word of caution on that. I mean... It's interesting because they say the same thing about Green Bay, right? That, that nobody wants to come. No free agents want to come in Green Bay. Look, money talks. The Brewers offered him just as much money, although in a different setting, as New York did or as LA did. They, he's the highest paid brewer this year. Yeah, he liked the way that Milwaukee feels. It feels like they click. It worked for his family because he gets to be in Phoenix and do spring training there around his family. But let's not forget that 18 and a quarter million price tag. And then an opportunity to hit in a hitter-friendly, uh, hitter-friendly ballpark, especially for a left-handed batter. Hit a lot of home runs. And then if he wants, hit free agency again next year. You can discard that mutual option if that's what he wants to do. I I, I would just, I know we love the small-town feel. And we love to think that players sometimes get that. And, and he's signing in Milwaukee because he he understands the way that the Brewers work. And he understands their unique take on Major League Baseball. And I love that. I do. But they paid him a bunch of money. I think the Brewers could get just about anyone if they're willing to pay out the money. I don't think this is about a, a change or a revelation from players in free agency that are now open to coming to small markets. We'll come play in small markets. Brewers are competitive. They have a great bullpen, a great locker room atmosphere. But they paid him money. Let's not forget about the $19 million, $18 million that they're going to give him. But it is something to pay attention to. You see Yasmani Grandal sign in kind of a shocking move. Maybe that encourages other free agents to say, hey, you know what? Milwaukee's money is as good as anyone else. If they give me the contract I want, why not? Why not go be a part of something in a small market team and in that small market of Milwaukee? I, I don't know. I there's a couple of objects and a couple of narratives at play. It's something to follow throughout the rest of this Brewers offseason. We're not in the offseason for UWL basketball. They have got under or got Got off, I should say, to a tremendous Wyac play start. They're undefeated. They have wins against Platteville, Eau Claire, Stout, and now Whitewater this previous weekend. They are up near the top in Wyac play. I had an opportunity to interview Coach Dernbach. Uh, very energetic, very uh, quick to praise or to be honest about the way that he is coaching and about the way that his team is going. He really gives you an in-depth and interesting look at his team. It's not coach-speak. I wouldn't play you coach-speak. This is really interesting stuff. I talked to him this morning about what the team has done so far and maybe what we could come to expect here in the coming weeks as Act play really gets cranked up. We'll talk some UWL Eagles basketball coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. You can listen both at 96.7 FM, 580 AM, and always stream at WK2iSports.com and on our mobile app as well. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're having a good one. I'm excited. We're talking a little bit of everything today. We've already covered Packers and Brewers. I want to talk some hoops, both UWL and the Badgers. We're going to talk Badgers coming up here in about 15 minutes. If you want to get back to the Packers talk, the Brewers talk, anything you missed, check out the podcasts tab at WK2iSports.com. You can listen to all of our shows anytime, anywhere. You can skip around. If you don't want to hear about Brewers, that's fine. Skip to the Packers. Skip to the Eagles. You have that flexibility. It's a podcast. Check it out, WKTYsports.com. This morning, I had an opportunity to sit down with Coach Kent Dernbach, who's really got this UWL Eagles team humming. They're now undefeated in WIAC play with wins against Stout and Platteville. And, uh, now I'm drawing a blank. I got so cocky. And, uh, and Whitewater this weekend, uh, they also, I mean, they're playing well. They had a great win against Eau Claire. So there's the four. Jesus, I choked them. I choked on them all. Oh, uh, they got four Wyatt wins. A couple of them you hear, uh, have heard I hear on WKTY. And, and now they're really starting to get into the meat and potatoes of that schedule. They have, uh, Stevens Point tomorrow. They have Oshkosh looming next week. Two of the teams who are at the top. And it's funny because non-conference season tells us, some things, but it leaves some things to be desired. We see teams like Buena Vista, we see teams like Augsburg and Wartburg, and and those games are great. But it's a tough metric because they're teams and their leagues and conferences that we're unfamiliar with. And now that we're into WIAC play, things kind of change. Now the UWL Eagles had what's going to shake out to be a top twenty, top ten strength of schedule non-conference. What did non-conference teach Coach Dernbach and what did he learn about this team in the non-conference portion of their schedule? I asked him. His answer is pretty interesting. I think it gave a pretty comprehensive look. This is what he had to say. You know,
1: this year has just taken us um, a little bit longer to um, commit fully to the defensive end. You know, last year we, we came in and, and guys were learning their role on the offensive end um, and how could they score? How could they not score? So you have a little bit, when when you're in that situation, you have probably more of a sense of urgency that you know you have to stop people defensively, right? Because maybe you're not quite as confident in your ability on the offensive end. And um, and then going into this year, we returned, you know, almost everybody. So those guys are now experienced. They went from being totally inexperienced to now being experienced. And um, uh, to keep that same level of uh, intensity and focus um, and willingness to, Defend because it's not the easy way to win games, right? The it's the hard way to win games, but it's the most consistent way to win games. And certainly in our league, um, is, is that you know we have we have some guys that are determined and willing to um, uh, to be committed, you know, to stopping people and exhausting themselves on the defensive end, and you know, and then we. You know we've we've gotten some nice contributions and even more more than contributions, but guys that have elevated their play, like Tarek Nessheim is is a better basketball player than he was last year. He's a better basketball player than he than he was five games into this year. Um, and sometimes that's what it, it takes to to win again, uh, and to play at the level um, um, of against the level of competition that we're going in sometimes it takes two years you know I've, I've coached guys that sometimes it's take them three years and then finally into their senior year they figure it out and and Tarek the and, and when that light comes on it's hard to turn it off right you don't mm-hmm. want to turn it off but Tarek figured it out you know right after we um, we had a tough stretch where you know we were at three and three we came home from central um, you know at three and three and 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 he's been playing at really a really really nice level and consistently at a nice level now he didn't he didn't have a great game against whitewater but um where he struggled from the field but he was still able to help us and um so you know that's that's an uh, certainly a, an improvement over um you know where we were early on in the season and then you know jack cordis and ethan ethan anderson and um in our, in our consistent play off the bench and what we've been able to mimic and practice has been really exciting to watch day in and day out.
0: Watching and listening to this UWL basketball team, you'll learn a couple of things. Outside of some of their seniors, now he spoke there about Tarek Nessheim and, and Ben Meinholz, Talbush McCray. There are a handful of players that have been mainstays, Brendan Manning probably as well, that play a substantial amount of minutes and you know those are going to be big players in each and every game. But outside of that, this team is this team is really deep, and, and it's interesting. You talk about starters versus bench players. This UWL team has a lot of players who might not necessarily start. They might start the game on the bench, but they play near-starter minutes. I wanted to hear about guys uh, like Ethan Anderson and Jack Cordes. You heard him talk about. Ethan Anderson, the, the freshman from Black River Falls. Sam Burkhart, Luke Norsha. Guys who don't start, but play close to starter minutes. If there's rhyme or reason, or, or what advantage does that give the team when you have guys who... Yeah, aren't in your starting lineup, but you can lean on them for a hefty amount of minutes, night in and night out. What I love
1: about our team is we have some versatility, Grant, where we can um, we can play bigger at times. You know, we can play. We have Josh Dahlke and Colton Holman. Now they're younger and they're developing, but we can play bigger. And and Tarek um, at six five, you know, but he he can move his feet and, and defend in the post at six five. So we can do that. But we also have the ability to play smaller. And like Jack, for example, um, there are times when he can really match up well with a four that goes down low and also can play on the perimeter, which we see so much in, in, you know, in college basketball in general and even in you know, NBA now with how the versatility of fours. So like, you know, um, so Jack sometimes to be able to play at the four, you know, and, and then Brendan Manning can guard on the perimeter a little bit and he can bang down low. And Ben Meinholz, because of his length, you know, can get a few minutes on, on a bigger guy, you know, too, if we're doing a good job pressuring the ball and we just don't let the ball go inside. So, um, what I, I really like about our team is our, our versatility, um, you know, that we have of guarding. Um, you know, Sam Burkhart gives us another guard defender off the bench. We've, um, Sam was sick against Eau Claire and, um, and Luke Norsha who's you know who's been around for a few years comes in and and we had we had great confidence in luke that you'd come in and he'd be solid and sound and that's exactly what he did um, because we've seen that in practice you know against whitewater um, i felt I, I felt like uh we we needed a, a little bit more of a punch at the five spot um after Tarek uh, maybe somebody that could put the ball on the deck because they're trapping us so because of how Wyatt Cook has been playing in practice, you know, we gave him a run in the second half for 5 minutes and and he he gave us some really really good minutes out there. So, you know, because of our versatility and and then guys aren't hung up into like, you know, what's, you know, I could get, I could get 15 minutes this game, and the next minute, next game I might only get a couple minutes or or I might not get in the rotation. You know, how do they respond to that the next day in practice? And and we've been able to respond, you know, um at a really nice level now winning helps that right we've won 10 out of 11 games and you know, there's no room to complain when you're when you're winning basketball games. But I am pleased because you 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 can tell that those guys understand what their role is. If if they're playing well, if they can defend, if they can get something done on the court, they're going to stay in there. It, they can. It doesn't matter if they're on the maroon squad in practice. That's our first squad, or the gray squad in practice. If they're playing well and they're getting something done, they will be rewarded with minutes. I mean, we've we've finished games now with. Uh, you know, six or seven different lineups. Um, you know, throughout the year, and it's those guys that uh, uh, you know that have a flow and um, have been able to show to get something done. You know, they earn the right to, to finish games, and they earn that right because they're competing well in practice.
0: Versatility and, and interchange interchangeable players in the lineup is so important. You see this trend, and well, we watch the NBA. That's what's the most scrutinized. That's the most analyzed. You watch the NBA, and. Positions are going away. You you have your point guards, you still have your centers, but centers and point guards are now being asked to do more, whereas point guards maybe 10 or 15 years ago didn't need to shoot threes because they were distributing to players who could shoot threes. And centers would never need to shoot, period, because they're living under the rim. Now everybody is being asked to do all these different things, Uh, whether it's as a starter or as a bench player or anywhere in between. Flexibility and versatility in a lineup is always a good thing. I think his UWL Eagles team has a lot of it, which has allowed them to match up well with just about every opponent they've played in one way or another. They beat Platteville 80 to 76 back on the fifth. On the ninth, just four days later, they killed Eau Claire 58 to 39. That's the defense, uh, that you see go on the road, uh, to UW Eau Claire and hold the team to 39 points. Whitewater 75 to 60. They've matched up three different teams, three different locations, and they've been able to match up and, and fit their game plan. And the way that they play to those teams. And they've come out successful in all of them. One final thing I asked Coach Sternbach about was. I talked to him a lot earlier on in the season. He would say things like. I'm just not a good coach right now. We're not a good team right now. We're not doing this well in practice. We're not seeing this when we watch tape. And he would be incredibly honest. In shortcomings not only in his players. Not individual players but as a team. And then shortcomings in himself. And that's not something that I've heard about. A lot since. When I've been calling games. And when I've been able to interview. And ask about this program. And I said. In the last couple of weeks. Especially since non-conference season. And even before non-conference season. Into the Wyack play. What has changed? What has improved? Because I don't hear talk like that. From Coach Dernbach Or from any of his players anymore. And I thought his answer was. Was really good. And I think. Tells a lot. And shows a lot about. What the trajectory for this Eagles team is like. And where they're going. Over the course of the next couple of months here. As the Wyack play really starts to heat up
1: well we've um we've we've committed to the defensive end I mean I know that's such a bland answer but that's what it comes down to you know we went from in our non-conference play we were seventh or eighth in our league and you know field goal percent defense and points allowed per game and right now we're number one you know in the league in both field goal percent defense and points allowed per game so now some of that has to do with who we played right um uh, we played a top, you know, twenty-five strength of schedule in, in our non-conference, and and that's prepared us well for, um, you know, for league play. We came in prepared, where we faced good teams with really good bigs, and we faced other teams with with great guard play, and, and teams that had both. So, um, you know, because of that, you know, we've been prepared, but um, we're. We're starting to get a feel. We, you know, we had eight new guys come in this year, and that takes a little time to to get used to. Um, but you know, early on we we couldn't come a, a game that when we go at ripping and we're defending, you know, all right. We didn't have very good offense, and then you lose that game on the road now. Um, now we've been, we've been able to defend okay on the road, and then we've been able to combine that with some, we've been able to shoot it. So, you know, early on we're shooting 28% from three, 26% from three, and that's not who we are, right? But when you're doing that you're playing good teams, you're probably going to take an L or two, you know, and now we've been able to combine, um, you know, good defense with good offense. And obviously that's the recipe to, to win games both at home and on the road.
0: Your UWL Eagles are killing it so far in conference play 4 and 0, including wins over Platteville, Stout, Eau Claire, and Whitewater. They have Stevens Point tomorrow night at 7 now that's in Stevens Point and unfortunately we're not going to carry that game but we're going to have chatter we're going to have talk as the YAC season starts to continue and starts to heat up as they play the likes of Stevens Point and River Falls and Oshkosh some of these teams who you think are going to be near the top when this whole thing shakes out in a couple of months a big thanks to coach Dernbach and everybody involved in that program And it's been a joy to watch. Now, speaking of uh, joys to watch, it was the exact opposite last night for the Wisconsin Badgers in so many ways. I love college basketball. I love NBA basketball. I love every kind of basketball. And I hated every second of what I saw last night from the Badgers. And if you can tell by my tone, I know we need to talk about it. On one hand, I want to talk about it. And on the other hand, I just want to wash my hands and be done with this Badgers team, and it's not even February yet. So let's get into that. They lost to Maryland last night, but that doesn't even begin to tell the story. We'll wrap up that and talk more about the Badgers here on the Wisco Sports Show as we wrap things up on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in when my show wraps up here, give or take in about 10 minutes. No need to go anywhere. The Bucs are playing tonight on WKTY. And I, of course, have completely spaced who they're playing. I'll I'll get you that in a moment. Tip-offs at 7. I know that for sure. So pregame gets underway at about 6.30. You can hear the Bucs tonight. Mostly I forgot because, you know what? I'm so sick of this Wisconsin Badgers team. And you might say, but Grant... Just a few weeks ago, you were so high on this team. Yes, I was. And I do not think I overrated this team one ounce. More on that in a couple of minutes. Let's just, let's recap what's been going on. For those who haven't been paying attention, good for you. <laughs> the Badgers lost 60 to 64 last night, but that doesn't tell the story. The Badgers scored 15 points uh, in the first half. 15 points in the first half is, uh, well, I, I don't really know what to say about it, to be completely honest. I turned on the Badger game. Uh, a couple minutes into the game, and when I turned it in, I was watching with some friends, we had it muted, we were listening to music, and I turned it on the score, I I believe at the time was 22 to 10, or just about there. So I was like, all right, Maryland's on a run, but this game's not out of reach. We have uh, essentially three quarters of the game left to play. Uh, uh, One full half, and then half of the first half, uh, even though there are no quarters in college basketball. And I thought, all right, well, let's sit down and watch. So I watched a couple minutes, and when I left, I believe the score was like 26 to 10. The Badgers still hadn't scored, and and we're like, let's go get some food. So we hop in the car, we go get some food, we come back, and the final half, or the final score of the first half, was 33-15. to 15. I missed two scores. I missed two scoring plays in the time it took me, and just about half of the first half, to drive to Taco Bell and back. I did miss a damn thing. Now, they came down to actually take the lead. They had they were trailing 21 points in the first half. Second half, excuse me. They came back to take the lead, and then they lose it at the end, which made it even more frustrating. It was a roller coaster of epic proportions last night. And this Badger team is just an enigma. When I talked about this team a couple of weeks ago, I said there's no reason that this Badgers team can't contend for the Big Ten. And contend and win is two different things. Keep that in mind. And I still believe that. I look at this team on paper, and they absolutely should be able to do that. This Badger basketball team, for most of my life, this started under Bo Ryan and has continued in some sense under Greg Gard. The strategy for the Badgers is slow it down, play really, really good defense. You're going to win with your defense first. You scrounge up what you can on the offensive end. You don't foul, you play smart, and you hit your free throws. And even if you're playing against the Kentuckys of the world or, in the Big Ten sense, the Michigan-Michigan-States of the world, even though we're going to be undermanned talent-wise, even though even more so now, I think under guard, we're going to be outcoached. We're going to be there because of the brand of basketball that we play. We might not always win, but we're going to be in just about every game. Now that held true last night, as wacky as the scoring was, they lost by four to a better team on the road in 19th ranked Maryland who sits at 15 and three. Now here's the thing. When you have that system that's focused on defense, And playing nasty, and you're making your opponents play down to you. You're gonna you're gonna win games and you're oftentimes gonna make the NCAA tournament when you get good players on top of that, i.e., your Sam Deckers and your Frank Kaminsky's and your Duye Dukin and your Trayvon Jackson and Bronson Canning and Nigel Hayes. When they had that batch of players, those players bought into Bo Ryan's system of really good defense playing smart without fouling and hitting your free throws, well, now you got a a recipe for for contending. And not just contending for the Big Ten, but nationally. Because you have this great foundation. This great foundation of defense and gritty play and, and really, really advantageous play style, especially when going up against more talented teams like Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State. And you have the guys who can create on the offensive end for themselves. Woo! Look out. And that's what happened in 2014, 2015. But now their their talent has kind of fallen back down. And I still like the Badgers' talent. I like Brad Davison. I like Demetrius Trice. Don't love him. I like Demetrius Trice. I love Ethan Happ. Everything else has been hit or miss. But this Badgers team is good enough to be in the top third or so of the Big Ten. Now, they haven't played like it. I still think they could shake out there. And maybe that's me holding on to hope. But when we talked originally about this Badgers team, I said, Hey, if Demetrius Trice can just shoot the ball, okay. Because remember, he was on an absolute flamethrower streak to begin the season. I said, if he can just play okay, he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. If he can just play okay and be an outside threat to compliment Ethan Happ. And if Brad Davison can, for the most part, hit catch-and-shoot threes, drive, get some points, be a compliment to Ethan Happ and Demetrius Trice, right, play smart, play gritty defense, and hit his free throws, this team can be good. And I said at the time, if Brevin Pritzel can actually have a breakout season like we've been expecting for the last 15 years then we're really talking about something good going on in Madison. Well, unfortunately, Demetri Trice has been so hot and cold, and Brad Davison has been even more hot and cold. Ethan Happ has been great, and to boot, this team can't make their free throws! Oh my god, we started 2019 by giving resolutions to Wisconsin sports teams, and the only thing I said for the Badgers basketball team was to just make free throws. And last night, free throws were a problem, but in a different way. They only shot six. Maryland went to the the line 29 times. And hit 24 of them. There's your free throw discrepancy. I don't know how the Badgers only shot six. And I don't know how in the same game. And in the same system and set of circumstances surrounding the refereeing. That Maryland got there 29 times. How do you let that happen? How do you let that happen? Especially with Ethan Happ. Who lives underneath the rim. And Brad Davison who should be driving the rim. And Khalil Iverson who should be driving the rim. Khalil Iverson never needs to shoot another jump shot again. He should live in the paint because he's athletic, he has reach, and he has bounce. This team finds ways to lose games. And it has been a trend. Now, the trend early on in Greg's guard's career was finding ways to lose games. That happened few and far between, mostly in the tournament. Good God, like against Notre Dame. They find ways to lose games, and it's becoming more frequent. How do you only shoot six free throws and by the same set of circumstances and refereeing and crew give up 24 made free throws out of 29 on the other end? And you know what? I'm not even mad that the Badgers only shot six because if they would have shot 16, they only would have hit five of them and they would have lost anyways. God, I'm so sick of this team. I'm so sick of this team because I look at their players and just like their football team, I think they're still better than a lot of teams in their league. I still think this team could be a top third, a top quarter of the Big Ten, and they could be contending, and they could be a team that nobody would want to play in the tournament just because they're a bit of a wild card. Demetri Trice could light the light the place on fire shooting the ball, and Ethan Happy, you know what you get there, and Brad Davison is just that wild card as well, but none of it is shaken out that way because his team turns the ball over, they shoot like crap. God, if I wasn't on live radio, there's no way that's the word I would use. They shoot like crap from the free throw line, and it doesn't fit this team's mentality. The mentality is, play good defense, play smart and don't foul, and hit your free throws, and at the end, we're going to be in a position to win. They've done all of those things. They've played the tough defense, right? They've played gritty, whatever you want to say, whether that's Brad Davison drawing charges or Ethan Happ grinding underneath. They've done all that, but they've turned the ball over, and they shoot like 50% from the free throw line. When you're trying to win games 52 to 49 Or 45 to 43 in a lower scoring affair, you can't afford to miss eight free throws a game. That's a fifth of your points. You cannot miss that many free throws. And until the Badgers start to hit some free throws, they're just not going to win games. They're going to be in it. They're going to tease you like they did last night because of the way that they play with tough defense and slow pace of play, but they're not going to win because they leave too many points out on the floor. God, I'm mad. We should have started that to. We should have started with that on the show because I'm. I'm like that. I'm going to. Just think of the show negatively now because that's the way that we wrapped up. Good lord. I hate this team because on the other hand I love this team and I know they can win some of these games. Like last night. 15 points in the first half? Good lord. If you would have scored 18 in the first half you could have won. 19 in the first half you could have won. But no, you had to score 15. You really had to push it. God. Well, that's the show. I've talked myself out of time. Bucks on tonight. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock tip. We'll be back. Same time, same place tomorrow. Talk Brewers, talk Packers, and maybe Badgers again, although I don't know if it would be healthy. Same time, same place tomorrow. I'll talk to you then.